Our scripture reading today is taken from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. Please open either in your bulletins or your Bibles. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. This is the Lord's word. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you are not a people, but now you are a God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which, war, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his holy word. At this point, I'd like to ask the children to come up for our children's message. We can now sit up here at these chairs. And I would like to invite on Paul and Susan to come and to give a word of encouragement. Uh, today's uh, <coughs> message comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. I'm going to read it to you guys real quick, and I'm going to talk to you about it, okay? Then we no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Okay, so who's hungry? Is anyone hungry right now? You guys are hungry? Who else is hungry? Okay, I brought some food over here. Oh, mmm. This is, this is turkey. Anybody want some turkey? Uh, over here, mmm. Oh, we got beach nut. This is the organic stuff. This is, what is this? This is squash. You want some squash? No? Okay, I got something better. Mm. 
for Dana. Yeah. I know it's hard to sit through church without snacks, but there's something wrong with this. It's baby food, right? This baby food, who is it for? Dana. But why can't you guys eat it? Not a baby. You're not babies. <laughs> That's right. You used to be a baby. What can you eat? Adi, what can you eat? What's your favorite food? Uh, noodles. Noodles? Harley, <laughs> what's your favorite food? Sandwich. Mm. Can can a baby eat noodles or a sandwich? No. How come? They don't have teeth. They don't have teeth. Yeah. They don't have teeth. Dana only has two teeth. You have a lot of teeth, right? But what do they need to do to eat that food? Grow up. Grow up. They need to grow up. Yeah, like a grown up. That's right. The Bible tells us that God, uh, that we need God's help to grow. Just like a baby, like you guys were babies, uh, needs to grow up as well. A baby, who helps a baby grow up? Do you guys know? God, yes. What did you say? Parents. Babies need parents to grow up. They need, do they need a little help or a lot of help? Do you see these parents? They're all just holding the babies. Babies need a lot of help. <laughs> so right now, you're at Children's Church, and you know every Sunday we go over there, and you go with me and Miss Susan and learn about God. But one day, one day, you will grow older and learn more about God, and you will be sitting like the grown-ups, just like, look, turn around. Just like everybody over here, everyone's sitting there, they sit, they, they worship God, and they listen to Pastor Young's sermon. Right now, we don't understand anything he's saying. But one day, one day, one day, you're going to grow up just like the adults here, and you're going to understand everything he says. <laughs> You're going to understand all of it, and you're going to be able to sit still. I know that's hard. You're going to be able to sit still without eating anything or coloring. One day you're going to be listening. And that's a really important part uh, of, of church ministry. The church, uh, please always remember that our kids can easily be swayed um, at their age. They are always watching and learning. Think about what lessons you are teaching these children through your actions and words. What are you showing them about God? As a church, it's our responsibility to help them grow in their faith. And kids, my children here, watch the adults here, okay? Learn from them, grow from them, okay? Because one day you will grow up. Lord, we just thank you for these children, Lord. We pray that you would protect them, Lord. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would encourage them to find you. 
May they, Lord, with their own lips, confess that they are sinners, that they may experience the true joy of the love that you have for them. Thank you for Paul and Susan and their work, Lord God, and the importance, Lord, of raising kids up in the Lord. Father, this is not babysitting for us. This is not just playtime for kids. These kids are not like accessories for us to simply enjoy when we want to enjoy, but they are people made in your image. So help us as a church together to raise them up in the fear of you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, kids are dismissed. One day you will understand everything I say from this pulpit. <laughs>
We're not paying dues to be part of a community. If so, then we would feel like we can just come and go as we please. We can go from one church to another. And even the church that we attend, we sort of pick and choose what we want to do. That's the mentality of churches. If we believe that God did not call us, but we're looking to find a place for ourselves. This is totally different. God called you when you were lost. God called you when you were rebels. God called you when you were his enemy. God called you when you had zero affection for him. And you can't explain it, but one day your eyes awoke and your heart started to beat. And Jesus and the message of salvation that he came to save sinners instead of it being a universal message became a message just for you. And from then on your life changed. Church is not a place for you anymore to just come and go. Church is not a place for you to sort of figure out sort of what activities they have and what would benefit you. But God called you to a place to love, to be at home, to eagerly worship with brothers and sisters, to look around a room and see not simply sinners or see people who perhaps I could become friends with, but to see brothers and sisters who are wrestling with the same things, but also who rejoice together because we've all seen the face of God. And it's in seeing that face that our fellowship has been knit together. We learned last week that the call that God has for us in growing his church together means that he will equip this church to serve him. He will equip this church to worship him. He will equip this church to do great things for him, to love the unlovable, to welcome the stranger, to simply manifest gentleness to one another and joy in Jesus as we worship together. You hit the lottery. Do you remember men, and perhaps some of you don't, but I remember this, when you're in a playground, and probably you don't do this anymore because it's, it's not good for self-esteem nowadays, but I remember when I was a little kid, elementary school, you play kickball. You just play kickball. And the two best players were the captains, right? And they would pick teams. And it was just a horrifying experience. You're lined up. And you knew that the captains would pick the best players, but you also knew that there was some social experimentation going on. <laughs> and the worst was when you were picked last. And you went and played, but you played with either a chip on your shoulder 
or you play with a downcast face because what am I doing? When we say that God's chose you, when we say that God's called you, it's that we have been expected to finish last. We are the worst of the worst. We know that we are sinners. And yet God called you into his marvelous light, into his grace. And each and every one of you are prized by God. You are beautiful in his eyes. You are perfect in his eyes. He's called you beloved and will continue to do so. Being called means that we simply respond to what God has broadcasted to us. Being called means that God has allowed our hearts to hear his voice and to accept his voice. Being called is a gift and a privilege that God has given to us. Here's a question that we will tackle today very briefly. Um, we have communion today and we have other things for our worship time. God called us out of this world to be holy. God called us out of this world to be holy. But you are a chosen race, verse 9, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for this own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. When God calls you out, he calls you to be a holy nation. He calls you to be holy. And that word holy has two connotations that we should understand about who we are. First of all, holy means that God has set us apart from the world. He has separated us from the world. And you might say, well, that sounds like an awful thing, to set us apart from the world. But God sets you apart from the world, not to sort of point fingers at you, he sets you apart from the world, not to show the world how different you are, but he set you apart for himself. Holiness is about God choosing you for himself, distinguishing you from what is not his to what is his. When God says you are holy to him, when God says you're a holy nation, he says that you belong to me. In a lot of ways, this word holy is a covenant language of relationship between God and his people. And we know that in scripture, the most beautiful example that he gives is, is the example of marriage. When you marry one person, you have separated your spouse from all the other potential people who are out there. As a woman, when you marry that man, he becomes your man, and those men become profane, the other. When you marry a woman, that woman becomes your wife, and everyone else simply becomes the other. 
When God says you are holy, God says, I've called you to myself to have this intimate relationship with me, and you belong to me and nobody else. I remember Ed Welch uh, was remarking upon how he was calling his wife and, and was introducing him to her to other people, said, this is my wife. And they got a little bit of a flack for it because people started to say, to, some, someone said to him, why don't you call her by her name? She has a name. She's not simply your wife. She has a name. You could imagine who it's, you know, something like that happened. And Ed Welch later on in a, in a, in a piece reflected on that and said, she does have a name, but she's someone special to me that no one else can claim. I'm the only one who can call her my wife. No one else can. And I have every right, in a sense, right, to claim that and to rejoice in that and to share in that. And to be proud of that. When the Lord has called you out to be a holy nation, the Lord is simply saying, you're mine and I'm yours. We belong together. We are married together in a covenant bond through the death of Christ. And my love for you will be as assured as 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 any bond that you could ever imagine. So when God calls you to be a holy people, a holy nation, he's simply saying to you that I've called you out and you're mine. You belong to me. Now there's something very interesting about this. Because this covenant relationship that God has with you it's not simply, right, I called you out, I'll save you, hey, you do your thing, I'll do my thing, and we'll just live life. But God, in calling you out to himself, is now actively engaged in his relationship with you to make you more and more like him. To make you more and more, how should we say this? in tune and in line with his will. And unlike a spouse whose wills are imperfect, God's will for us is perfect. And that when we stand in his will is when we experience the most joy of being known that we are with him. And that's the second aspect of holiness. But that aspect of holiness comes out of our relationship with him. The call to be holy is not this dry and naked, sort of moralistic, be a good person, obey the Ten Commandments, naked of the loving relationship of God. But this call to holiness is a call to morality, that engages our hearts and our desires to be like him. And so it's incumbent upon us as we grow in our faith that we want to grow to be like Jesus. When Jesus says to us, no more malice, no more deceit, no more hypocrisy, no more slander, 
that we do so with not our eyes focused on the other saying, what's wrong with you? But we do with our eyes focused on our Lord and say, our God loves you. Why? What's this hypocrisy? Our God loves you. Why, why am I being so judgmental? My God loves me. Why am I so angry? My God wants me to be holy because he wants me to be like him. He wants me to enjoy the relationship that God has bestowed upon me. We are called to be holy and to live the life of morality, to to obey those Ten Commandments, to to worship with all our hearts, souls, and minds, and to love one another as, as God has loved us because of our covenant, the covenant he has made with us. Why is this important? A church is not made of simply the leaders of elders and deacons and pastors. A church is not simply the programs that it has. In fact, there are plenty of churches who have lots of leadership, plenty of churches that have lots of programs, and you and I, we we both know that that does not make a church. What makes a church is people knowing that they're called to be here. That this is the expression of God's love and that together we engage in knowing the one who loves us. That we remember who we are. That we remember we are betrothed to the Lord and and our desires to be faithful to him. We're married to him. And our desire is to see one another. To fight the good fight and to grow in faithfulness to him. The greatest sign of, of Christian maturity that I see is, well, let me put it this way. Christian maturity that I believe is needed in our generation today, that's still lacking, that needs to be grown into, that God, I believe, will shape our church into this as well is for us to have the ability the grace the fight the grit to fight for a relationship with God even when everything in our world and everything in our world is chaos this world has a mentality that we're not really married to God. We're just good friends. We're just dating him. And that we come to God only when we feel like our world is sort of in balance. Okay, my world is together. God, just just wait. I'll, I'll come to you. I'll come back to the church. I'll come to worship you once financially I'm stable. Once I get married. Once I have kids, 
once my kids are in college, once I retire, once I'm on my deathbed. Lord, right now, there's just too much transition in my life. Just, I'm going to wait until this transition is over. Oh, a new, new transition, another transition, another transition. Oh, Lord, right now, there's, there's too many things happening. There's too many things happening in my life. There's, there's too many things in family, friends, relatives, this world. And God gets pushed aside. The sign of maturity is not to worship God once you have this world in order. The sign of maturity is to be able to worship the Lord and to serve the Lord in the midst of a broken world that we all live in. There's this old, I, 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 believe, uh, I, I believe it's an old Danish proverb that says, charity I wish, this was, I wish this was in the Bible. Charity is not giving a dog a bone when you have everything. Charity is giving a dog a bone and getting down with him and gnawing at the bone at the same time. I love that proverb. Like I said, I wish it was in the Bible. Because that's what the Christian life should look like. That is to give when we are weak. It's to love God when we have nothing left in us. That as we throw ourselves at the cross, we take other people with us and just throw ourselves at the cross. That when life is hard and coming to church is difficult or reading the Bible is difficult or you have an issue with someone at church because someone said something and, and now you're all, all up in the uproar because you feel like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that someone would say this about me and, and, and you, things fall apart. It's to be able to say all of that is just what church is going to look like. But as I throw myself at the mercy of God for help, I will take everyone with me. No matter what happens in this room, no matter what happens in your head, no matter hap whatever happens in your family, no matter how much turmoil there is in your heart, this scripture assures us that you have been called that you are a holy nation, that you are a chosen race, that you are a people for his own possession. And no matter if you can kick that kickball over the fence and hit a home run, or if you're like me and who'll miss the ball every single time, you're still on God's team. And God's love for you will never change. It's that love for us that enables us to be holy like he is holy. To take the circumstances in our life and to put them into perspective and say, the world is broken. I'm a sinner. People will sin against me. But with all that in, in, in line, bring that to the Lord and say, it doesn't matter for me because God loves me. And although my heart might feel broken and disappointed, it's okay because Jesus did 
Jesus understands who, well, how I feel, and Jesus still loves me. Can you imagine? And I alluded to this in my prayer. Jesus did not love you in strength. Jesus did not love you when he had everything together. Jesus did not come down in the theophany as God himself to preach the gospel to you. Jesus came in weakness. For some of you, it's really difficult to go camping. I, I don't like camping. Why? I need a clean bathroom. I'm spoiled. Jesus came down from heaven to live as a dirty human being. Forget bathroom. Jesus came down knowing that he'll be mocked and teased, spat upon. And yet not a word of judgment. Jesus came when he was uncomfortable. Jesus came and served when the world was going awry. Jesus came with even self-conflict. Lord, take this cup away from me. I don't really want to die. Jesus came being tempted by Satan. Jesus, I will give this kingdom before you if you just come worship me. Jesus on the cross in the midst of his pain and agony at the worst moment of his own life. Not a peep. but followed his Father's will to the very end. Jesus, right, for three days was buried before he rose again. And the significance of those three days being buried simply means he was separated from God for three days. He's never been separated from God from all of eternity, never. He's never not known, not knowing his Father. He's never not known being far apart. Yeah, you remember the time when your parents were about to cry because they dropped you off from college and they were sad because it'd be far away. I think my wife and I were, were waiting for that day. But, you know, for most parents, for most parents, they're, they're, they're saddened by it. You know, you go to weddings and you see the parents are sad. There's a new chapter. But God was separated completely. All of these circumstances Jesus himself experienced. Yet Jesus chose to not wait for the circumstances to disappear, but to walk in them. And as he did, in the midst of the turmoil, chose to walk and love us. This is how great his love is for you and me, brothers and sisters. Let us rejoice in him and rejoice in that love. May we know that his covenant love for us is eternal. And we let's pray that our hearts may repent and turn. May we come to our senses and be able to serve our God, serve one another, serve this church, serve this world. 
with his strength and his alone. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, just thank you for your mercy. You are God and the God of all things. We ask of you, Lord, to help us to remember who we are, to repent, Lord, of what we have forgotten, to repent, Lord, of what we have, well, suppressed about who we are. Lord, we are not innocent, but we are guilty. We are culpable of our sins before you. We ask of you, Lord, for forgiveness. And we ask of you, Lord, for courage and your power of your spirit to walk in your light. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.